Hello, and welcome to Square in a Circle. On this episode, we are continuing our series on force management, mentorship, and development. And I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Kate Smith. Lieutenant Colonel Smith is currently the HQDA G3 Force Management Chief of Programs, TAA. She has numerous years of FA-50 experience with assignments with U.S. Army North, 21st Theater Sustainment Command, and HQDA G1 People First Task Force. She has multiple graduate degrees, is a recipient of the General Douglas MacArthur Leadership Award, and completed the prestigious Strategic Broadening Seminar with the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program are my own and my guests. They do not reflect the positions of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or any other organization. This content is for education and information purposes only. All right, ma'am. Well, hey, thanks uh, again for um, you know participating in this podcast and joining me and taking some time uh, out of your weekend to uh, talk to me about a really important subject. Uh, you know, talk about force management, uh, mentorship, and, and development. So this is a part of a series of myself interviewing senior FA50s, um, and you know, I really appreciate. Uh, getting your perspective on these series of questions. And so I give, you know, all the credit in the world to my peers, you know, some of my colleagues that, um, you know, specifically requested uh, for myself to, to do this series um, for themselves that, you know, have mentors, you know, but, but want different perspectives um, regarding uh, the set of questions that I, that I have. Uh, that, that said, before I dive into these, these questions, ma'am, I'll defer to you for any opening comments. Hey, Matt, thank you. Number one, I really appreciate you having me on tonight, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you. But even more than that, thank you for creating this podcast. I am so proud of you for what you're doing here, and it's really motivating for me to see the passion that you have for the branch and to be a part of how you're sharing that passion with others and shaping some really important conversations, both for force managers, but also around force management. Um, I think what you're doing here is tremendously valuable work to create the discourse for force managers. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for this. And I'm really honored to be a part of what you're doing. All right. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And I think, uh, you know, the, the first question we'll, we'll get off, you know, learn a little bit more about yourself, ma'am, is, you know, so what, you know, why become an FA-50? But like specifically, you know, why did you become an FA-50? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this one in a couple of parts for you. So First off, I became an FA-50 because I really wanted to be involved in driving change at a higher level instead of just reacting to those changes sort of at the tactical level, the user end, just receiving the change. Um, I really love the challenge and the pace of the FA-50 work that I've been honored to be a part of so far. My hope in transitioning, and this has really proven to be true in each of my jobs, was that I would be a part of solving these complex, multi-layered technical problems that would have really tangible impacts on our force. Um, and I've really, in each of my jobs, had success at varying levels, right? So at an ASCC level, I was obviously sort of more operational. And so I could shape things sort of between the strategic and the tactical echelon. And now at, when I was at the 21st TSC, it was much more on sort of the tactical operational level. And now I'm up at HQDA where I'm sort of driving some of that process change. And from my personal experience, every one of those has been rewarding and every one of those has had those impacts that I was hoping for on the force. Um, so as an FA-50, I think the things that we, we really do are to, I think of it like sort of long range strategic planning, right? So we look toward a future problem set and then backwards plan what those capabilities that we'll need are. 
and solve that problem and then design a path to ensure that those capabilities exist in the force at the time of need or before. And that was something that when I became an FA-50, I didn't really fully understand the scope and the impact that force managers would have on that. I knew we would be in the process. And even in uh, the Army Force Management School, AFMS, I think we get sort of an initial look at how we will do that, but really getting into those processes is fascinating. And then being a person who helps to shape that and really think of the future force, right? So think of that soldier who in, you know, 29 or whatever, you know, the cycle is where a capability comes up is going to have a certain capability within a certain force structure to conduct a certain mission. And that's because of the work that we as force managers are doing. And at least to my mind, um, there's, there is nothing that is more important or sort of impactful that the army does than the work that we do as force managers. And I am so happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's great. Um, you know, I, I, this is like one of my favorite questions, you know, cause everyone always has a story to tell, you know, like why they became a, a force manager and FA 50. And it's like one of the things I always like to, when I meet new, uh, force managers, you know, I like to, you know, bring up, you know, from time to again, you know, just to, you know, get to know the person, you know, and for myself, you know, when I, uh, uh, left the captain's career course and went to my, my assignment at Fort bliss and I was assigned to the sustainment brigade, you know, I, you know, it was a, you know, one of the first additional duties that I received was to be the force integration officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what that entailed. Like I had, I had no idea. And, uh, the, the S3, like the, at the time, the guidance was, Hey, just go up to the division and talk to the force manager, um, up there, and, you know, and, and basically figure it out on your own. And, uh, so I did. And, uh, you know, I, I met with that individual and, you know, I really, really enjoyed what that addition, additional duty entailed and, you know, fielding of new equipment and helping the sustainable brigade, you know, modernize and, and receive a whole bunch of new equipment. And it got me to not necessarily be a SME, but get, you know, smarter on certain capabilities, certain equipment sets that are, that are coming, coming to the field. Um, and, and so I kept that in the back of my mind and maybe something that's, you know, that, that interests me and maybe something, you know, I want to pursue later on. And, uh, you know, after company command and then being an instructor for a little bit, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I you know, this is something that, you know, I'd, I'd really like to really like to do and, uh, you know, no regrets doing it whatsoever. So uh, your first assignment was at our North, ma'am. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk us through a little bit about that. Like what were, you know, some of the challenges and, you know, like, you know, what did you learn most about? So for me, so first of all, Army North is a wonderful assignment. If you can ever get out there you will not regret it. It's a, it's a wonderful area to be in, but it's also a great command with a really great mission. Uh, Defense Support Civil Authorities and the Homeland Defense is a mission that's really close to all of our hearts as soldiers in the Army. And so being able to um, do things like, so I was, for a while, I was in charge of operational need statements and getting equipping out there. Uh, I also got to play with some joint manning documents. Um, and then we also got to do some real world missions when we were sending soldiers out to the border and we were doing things like working with the GFM guys, uh, for RFFs and to manage forces that were going out there. And I, you yourself, you know, had some direct experience with that. Um, and though we didn't know each other at the time, right. The work that I was doing was directly impacting the experience that you were having. And I think that just goes to show a little bit what I had talked about earlier of there is nothing that force managers do that doesn't directly impact a soldier in the force on any given day. And knowing that at army North and sort of seeing that impact, especially in my first assignment, 
I think really drove home for me what I was doing and why I was doing it. That first assignment was also my first experience being part of a force management team mm -hmm. and understanding that the way that force managers operate is truly in support of one another so that we can support the larger force altogether. Up until that point, I had had wonderful experiences with other peers, subordinates, and seniors, but nothing like I had at Army North. And I will be eternally grateful to them for setting the conditions and the tone for me. Um, I still speak to literally all of the people that I was assigned there with, and I'm very proud that I still have those enduring relationships. Um, and I, I'm thankful to them for showing me what what those mean, both for the force and for my own personal and professional development. So Army North, amazing first assignment, would be an amazing assignment at any time. If you can get there, highly recommend it. Okay, so so moving along, um, you know, as a force manager, just just curious, ma'am, you know, what has been your your greatest achievement? And that could be, you know, you know, thinking back at R North at the ACC or your 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 one of one assignment or you know working in the building. So. I think two things on this one. Um, and again, this, this is probably a theme that you're going to see echo through every answer that I give you today. But for me, it's really about the people and how the work that I do impacts the people. So the things that I've done and the things that I'm doing right now have, have been, it's to some degree, right, to varying degrees at different assignments, have directly impacted what a current or a future generation of soldiers will experience in the Army, what they will have, how they will be arrayed, the capabilities that they can bring to the force, both you know for the army fight as well as a joint fight, um, at this point across multi-domain operations, and I very much feel the the weight of that in every sort of product that I create or every team that I'm a part of or every decision forum that I get to have input to or in any way, you know, provide advice on, and I feel this though we really need to take that very seriously as force managers. It may seem like the things that we're doing, right? Cause we, and we do like in the TAA cycle, we have multiple turns, multiple abilities to affect any of the, the out years, right? Of a TAA. So, you know, 23, 27 also has another bite at the apple at 24, 28, 25, 29, et cetera. But each of those decisions can change a trajectory for a soldier. And I take that incredibly seriously. And I think that I'm lucky enough to work with other people who take that equally as seriously. And so for me, that's the greatest achievement that I have is that I'm on a team with people who really care and that we're setting a trajectory every day for the future of the army. Um, and so on a personal level, not only do I have a dog in that fight because I myself am a soldier as well as a good portion of my friends, but I also have a nephew who, uh, who you spoke to actually, Matt, who is joining the army and I very much am very conscious of the fact that the decisions that I'm helping to inform right now, he will be the recipient of, he will be living with once he finishes ROTC and, and is in the active duty army. So um, I think that that weight should never be lost for any of us. And that, you know, if there's ever a time where you're a little frustrated because, you know, the staff work seems never ending or whatever. It might just be staff work for us, but really at the end, it's a tangible impact to a real life soldier who's going to be doing something because of what we decide. And I just, I think we can never lose sight of that. Um, and so for me, the greatest achievement, number one is being part of teams that do that. And number two, continuing to be able to do that uh, at different levels across the army. 
Oh, that's great, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, just touching, touching back on, you know, being a staff officer, doing staff work. Um, you know, one of the questions I received from, from my, my peers was, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're briefing, you know, one star, two star geos that are, you know, former maneuver commanders, you know, speak war fighting, um, you know, think, you know, think and talk maneuver, uh, and war fighting. So how do we articulate, you know, force management processes? How do we take our, our language and, and make it tr make sense, translate it to army senior leaders. So I think this happens at a few different levels, right? So if you're talking at a, at a level, maybe like a, a TSE and ESE, uh, some of those one of one assignments where it may be the first time or an, an early on experience for some of this, the senior guys, the, the chiefs of staff or the, you know, deputy commanding generals, things like that. They, they may have had some limited experiences before with force managers, depending on where they've been, they may have had robust experiences, but I think really what we need to communicate to them is that we are the people who translates, who translate strategy into tangible capabilities and then prioritize those within resources. So what we are really doing is taking at all levels, the end state that the commanders want to see and making that happen for them. And then I also think that, well, we need to be subject matter experts in how we do that so that we can speak kind of the force management language. We need to also be able to speak the other language, right? So on your slides, it's wonderful to have the, you know, this is how it nests into PPBE and, you know, this is the resourcing panels or whatever the thing is that you're talking about. But I think we also need to continue to always tie the importance to at whatever level you're working that commander's end state also into the larger army or joint force end state that the whole, the total force is going after. Um, I think depending on where you work, that will look a little bit different, but what we really need to do is, is take these things that are these sort of far future actions and make it really present and important and prescient and show them how a decision that they make today will shape something that happens two CGs from now, three CGs from now, whatever it happens to be. Um, Right. And so just really translating it into the language of wherever you currently work. And I think that generally we do a really great job at that because we do have the experience of coming from whatever your basic branch is in. Um, and so I, at least in my experience, I have seen a high level of success with being able to be an effective advocate for force management um, in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different forums. But that would be my advice to someone if you are going out to a one of one or if you're working in a new job where maybe you're briefing in ways that you hadn't been expected to before. I think if you always tie it back to that strategy, that end state and say, this is how I'm going to achieve that for you. This is when, and this is with what sort of those ends, ways, and means. I don't think we can go wrong. Oh, awesome. Outstanding, ma'am. Um, and so your, your experiences in force management, you've worked with quite a lot of civilians, um, you know, in, in my shop and my division, you know, ha half of the division is, is civilians, um, all, all great Americans, you know, awesome to work for, uh, and work with, um, just, you know, we have a lot of civilians, CP 26s that are in force management. Why, why are they, you know, so important to the force management field? They are the continuity, but not just in the sense that, that they're there for a long time, not just the duration, but truly the continuity of if we as soldiers get called forward for whether it's training or a mission or a YS tasker or a deployment or whatever it is, they are the continuity that supports us that we can reach back to that is sort of the underpinnings of every process that we do that makes it continue to go, 
no matter sort of the adventures that we go on. Um, I don't, I don't think we can downplay the value that having those DA civilians is. Um, every single DA civilian that I have worked with as a force manager has been a consummate professional. I have learned something from all of them and I'm proud to count quite a few either as uh, friends or mentors of mine. And so I would very much say that the, the things that civilians bring to force management are the tangibles, right? Like the work that they do every day, the meetings that they attend, the advice that they provide, but it's also those intangibles of the things that they provide to force management, right? They mentor us, right? And we're no matter what level that we're at, right? And so I think both the tangibles and the intangibles are exceptionally valuable and that we are very, very lucky to be able to work with those DA civilians every day. You know, for the, for the civilians that, you know, at, at RCENT, um, you know, I, I'm always learning something new, like every single day from them with, you know, their experiences and, you know, just the, the institutional knowledge that they have, you know, um, I, you know, I, I think I'd be, he's really struggling, you know, with, with, without their, without their expertise and, and their help, especially in the new field of, uh, of, of GFM, you know, we get like a, a week of, of GFM at the, at the schoolhouse, but, um, when you have a counterpart that's been doing it for like 10 plus years, you know, you, you can't beat that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you're a new platoon leader and you have an E7, or if you're a captain, you have a first, yeah. right? They're that sort of senior person that brings you along, mm -hmm. make sure that you're successful, helps you with everything. They're trusted confidants. They're, it's, there's such, such value that the DAX add. And I think that, you know, no matter who it is, right? Like a good, a great person is a great person, but the fact that we are in a profession that's, sometimes even greater than 50, 50, right? So sometimes there's significantly more DA civilians than there are soldiers in a, in a division, in a directorate, in a command, whatever it might be. And it is that experience and the level of care and concern and like truly buy into the mission that they have that really sets the, you know, the force or the command or wherever they work on a specific course. And I think that we owe quite a bit of what we have in the army right now to the diligence of those civilians. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Um, so for this next question, um, for new VTIPs, where should they go for their first assignment? Where, what, what should they be shooting for? Should they, should they be going to the building right away? Or should they try to go to an ASCC where they can, you know, learn different, different functions of force management? Just wonder what your take is on that, ma'am. Uh, so I say this slightly tongue in cheek, but my answer to this is any place except for a one of one assignment. Um, I think that, you know, the one of ones are wonderful assignments. I think that everyone should compete for those once you get a little bit of seasoning under you, right? It's just, it's just almost impossible to have that be your first assignment. Um, I think each assignment is really diverse and that you'll learn a lot any place that you are, so long as you're open to that learning. So ideally, I think you want to go to a place where you can spend some time on equipping and other time on structure, no matter where it is that you land. So my best advice truly would not be necessarily about where you go, but about how you comport yourself once you're there. FA50 is a really small community and it has an outsized impact on the army. And so I think we really need to be diligent with that responsibility, come in with a really good attitude, highly motivated every day to take on whatever the challenge is and, you know, to learn and to grow and to be the best that you can be that given day. Um, and I think the, the aggregate or the cumulative effect of all of those days where you're being your best is going to be an excellent end state for your organization, wherever you might land, as well as for yourself and the amount of growth that you, if you've been open to it, will achieve during that time. 
Yeah, yes, ma'am. So what about, you know, for my, for myself, right. You know, I'm be going on my second assignment as a force management, you know, the next couple of years, just wondering what, what are your thoughts are like, where should I go next? Uh, so I'm going to slightly obfuscate your question. And I'm going to say that for a second assignment, I think it really depends on where someone is in their timeline. Um, so if I was going to answer for you specifically for Matt Bigelow, you know that we've talked about this before, but I believe that your next assignment should be to HQDA. You've had that ASCC experience. And based on where you specifically are in your timeline, I think that the next most advantageous spot, both for you, for personal growth, as well as for the profession of force management is for you to come to HQDA. However, uh, if I were to answer this more generally, I'm going to speak as though this officer is a relatively junior major with at least two more years until the board for 05. So if that's the case, then I would recommend to that person going to an assignment that's entirely different from whatever they're leaving. So for example, if their first assignment was to an ASCC or they were part of a larger team of force managers, then I would recommend that their second assignment maybe be to a one of one. Or if your first assignment was at HQDA, then I would challenge that person to leave the national capital region and go out to a one of one, a one of few, or an ASCC. I know that a lot of us, once we get to the NCR, we want to stabilize and sort of take in the full experience in the bevy of opportunities for FA50s in the NCR. But I think that in doing so, you might almost do yourself and the branch a disservice because we do need to be rounded. Uh, I think that you experience different developments depending on where you are. And at HQDA, it's sort of at the, the shaping end, the developmental end of it, where you're driving the processes versus the user end when you're out in the field. And there's real differences, tangible differences between those two. And I think that not understanding that will, will limit your abilities as a 50, right? Some of the perspectives that you have, maybe some of the decisions that you make when you become a little more senior, if you've only seen sort of one side of the coin might change how you think about things. Um, so I think it's, it's easier to be a 50 where there's a robust peer and FA 50 support system. And so if your only experience is there and not out in the field where it's a little more limited, like in that one of one or one of few, um, you know, you may not, you may not fully understand when you're asking something from them, like right when you're in 05 or 06 at the building and you're asking for something from the field. If you haven't been there, if you haven't done that, you may not understand truly what that translates into at the user end. Um, so I think that that, sort of holistic look at what the FA50 branch has to offer is really important. Um, and then I'll follow that with a something that may be a controversial opinion. But I think that every FA50, as long as it fits within your timeline, should cycle around the force and try and get to one of those one of one or one of few assignments. Um, if you if you truly want to understand the impact of the decisions that we make, I think that's a really visceral way to see the tangible impact of what happens. Um, and I think that that's really great perspective. And I think that as fifties, we should want that. We should want to rise to that challenge and that we should want that holistic understanding. Uh, and I'll translate that into a third answer, which is if you are a senior captain or a senior major and your file is strong and your timeline, you know, kind of aligns with all the stuff that PDO and the career manager put out, then I would also highly recommend looking into advanced civil schooling or the broadening programs. They are really underutilized, great opportunities that we're exceptionally fortunate to have. Not a lot of branches have the volume of slots and the type of opportunities that we do. And so I would encourage everybody to please apply for 
whether it's, you know, the MITRE fellowship or the TWI with FedEx or a master's program through advanced civil schooling, that experience could truly change the course of your military career. It could shape follow on opportunities, and it can also give you new skills for when you come back to the force as a 50. So I know that was a really long answer, but I think it's really dependent on where you are. So thematically, I would say go someplace you haven't previously been to get an experience you haven't previously had. If it fits in your timeline, rise to that challenge of a one of one. And if it fits in your timeline, absolutely look at the broadening TWI and ACS. Oh, yeah. Awesome, ma'am. Yeah, this this next question, uh, I think it nests well with your, your previous answer slightly. The question's out of, out of order. Um, but uh, you, you completed ACS, graduate school. Uh, you completed a tour at, at MITRE, your broadening assignments. I was wondering if you could talk us through about your experiences and did that help you become a better 50? And like, what did you bring back to the to the force from your experiences? I love this question, Matt. Thanks for this one. So I've been really fortunate, as you've said, in my career uh, to be accepted for two fellowships. The first one was when I was still in my basic branch uh, as logistics. It was the Major General James Wright Fellowship of the College of William & Mary, where I received my MBA, um, as well as a Lean Six Sigma Green Belt that was part of that program. So let me first start by saying William & Mary is a world-class institution, and I received an exceptional education in their MBA program. But many of the lessons I learned from the cohort of my peers was equally as valuable, if not more valuable than that sort of classroom learning that I did there. And it was for me the first time since I'd been in the army that I had the opportunity to break away from being fully enmeshed in the work that I was doing for the army, change perspective and see us through other eyes. And it, it helped shift the way that I saw what the army does. And not in a bad way, right? Certainly in a way of there are challenges and there are ideas and there's thoughts and technology that the army, for various reasons, all of which I understand, don't adopt, right? Or we're slow to adopt. And some of that is acquisitions processes. Some of it is the volume of the army, right? Like to adopt a technology into the army is no small task. And so I think we need to be really deliberate and we need to be good stewards of the army's resources we need to make sure that whatever we're adopting, right, kind of nests with a larger strategic vision. But I also think that in some ways, because we are so large, we don't always see the specific opportunities that maybe exist for discrete improvements, smaller improvements throughout. And I was exposed to ideas and things there that, that I truly didn't even know existed in the world. Um, there was also really interesting things that came up um, you know, we had ethics classes, we had marketing classes. I had never in my life thought about marketing strategy, right, until I went to William & Mary. But lo and behold, a few years later, you know, now the Army has the Army marketing specialty, right? It's a whole MOS that we have now. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a uh, functional area as well. And so I think that there are sort of those lessons that we're learning and bringing in. And having exposure to that type of thought is really, it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, and I think that anybody who has it, should take that opportunity to learn from those around you who have different things to bring to the table than you do, and also share your skills, abilities, and perspectives with them. Um, and so, again, I could talk about William & Mary forever and ever and ever. It was a seminal experience in my life. But if we move on to my second fellowship, um, it was the FA50 fellowship to MITRE. And this experience truly 
changed my life. Um, this was a dive into a whole other world where I was able to flex the skills that I had in new ways, but also develop and explore entirely new specific staff skills in executive ways that well, the army values them, right? The army kind of is standardized in a lot of ways and for a lot of good reasons, but it doesn't always engender the most creativity. And I think MITRE gave me an opportunity to figure out ways to sort of flex that creativity. And then now that I'm back in the force, I can find strike a better balance between the two, right? Like find opportunities to exploit the creativity techniques that MITRE taught me, but fit them within the army's sort of milieu of what we, how we think, how we talk and how we standardize our products and move forward. Uh, it also forced me, my experience at MITRE forced me to un-armyize how I speak and how I write. And that was really cool, right? So the army, again, and we kind of have a way that we do things. And so the work that I did, for example, with the Department of State, it, it showed me how other elements of DIME within the DIME paradigm, right? They think and they act vastly differently, but toward the same goal as the military, right? But the way that they speak, the way that they write, the way that they put products forward is worlds different than what we do, but we're all working toward the same goal. And for me, that was really cool to see that we can all have the same end state, right? And we all can all work for the same government and we can all work toward the same projects. Um, so for example, one of the things I did while I was there with the Department of State was work on the um, evacuation of Afghanistan. And that was fascinating because from, from an army perspective, I knew what was happening, but also working within the Department of State and consulting with them on what they were doing and doing process improvement and seeing the sort of the process that they have to go through that's vastly different than ours, but those are sort of dependent on one another sometimes, right? Like we're, the military, the Air Force was largely evacuating the people, but they were going through Department of State processes to get to America. And those things really had an interplay and being able to find the ways to communicate across and throughout that was something that, you know, if I was any other place in the world, I wouldn't have had that experience. Um, it wasn't, I also had the opportunity to work with agencies I had never even heard of and learn things that I didn't even know that people were doing. And so because of a conglomeration of these experiences, I brought a lot of it back to the army. Um, and some of it was, you know, the hard skills, things I use regularly now, something about, you know, making sort of executive slides or some of the techniques for writing more strategic messaging, uh, elevating how we speak about things into uh, you know, top line messages and then supporting those with supporting message, things like that, right? That, that MITRE taught me, but also the intangibles. So for me, it was a great bridge to 05, right? From 04 to 05. And it set me up for success in so many ways. Um, I, I can't even begin to speak to you about the wonderful people. So I worked in a department called Human and Organizational Systems. And those were some of the smartest, kindest people that I've known they were curious and talented and welcoming and professional and accessible. And they worked as a, a team in really horizontal and integrated ways, which was also a, a great lesson for me to learn, right? Because the army is pretty hierarchical generally. And, you know, I would go from speaking to a peer to speaking to, you know, a department head in the same conversation or in, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes. And there was not the sort of, oh, now that I've spoken to this person, let me go all the way back down the chain and let everyone know what I've said. And, you know, there's sort of jeopardy around this conversation kind of a thing. Uh, and that was, it was really cool to behold sort of the matrixing and how all knowledge was just valued regardless of who it came from or where it came from. And, and 
yeah, I, I can't, again, I could, I could talk for hours about MITRE, um, but for anyone who's eligible for this opportunity and doesn't apply, I think you're missing out. I think it will, it will really change your life. Um, yeah, again, I, I could talk for hours. I don't want to belabor this point, but if you have any specific questions that you want, want me to touch on a little more, or if anyone else wants to reach out after hearing this, I'm very happy to continue to talk through that experience. No, man. I mean, that's, that's good. It's probably like one of the better like dives into the, the broadening assignments, you know, that I, that, I, that I've heard. I mean, we've, we've had like, you know, some, some briefs on, on MITRE before and the other fellowships, but, um, to, to get, you know, your experiences back behind it, you know, that's, that's really good and really appreciate that. Um, if we could, you know, just kind of fast forward a little bit in, in time from, from the broadening assignment. So your, your current position, you know, what, what have you learned now or, or recently that, you know, you wish you had learned in the force management school? Oh, that's a good one. So I think that the, I think the AFMS army force management school does a wonderful job of giving our new force managers, whether they're civilians or military, a great knowledge baseline before sending us into the force to gain skills through, you know, OJT or whatever experiences we get. Um, I also, so here's my, here's my dirty little secret. I still reach back out to the schoolhouse sometimes if there's something that I know is changing, has recently changed that I haven't tracked really closely, you know, something like that. Like I'll reach back out um, and, and I'll ask the question and they've always been really accessible to me and very enthusiastic in their answers. So that's a, a pro tip for anyone out there listening. They are really dedicated instructors who will take that time to go above and beyond for us. Mm -hmm. So I think that AFMS itself does a wonderful job. Now that said, I think that something that would benefit us as 50s as a general community, and it could be done through AFMS or maybe through some other means, would be like a, a small annual or biannual refresher of, you know, hey, things change in the force from this is what we're tracking, right? So, you know, we used to teach it this way and now we teach it this way. And these are the sort of the changes that have been made, maybe like a, a year in review or a state of the union type type talk that somebody gives us. I think it's it's really easy to lose touch with some of those knowledge and skills that you got at the force management course if you haven't had to use those in your jobs in recent years or it's an area where you're not really haven't worked in. So for example, if you're working in structure, but now you're moving into integration and you're not really sure how to do an ONS right now, or you're not really mm -hmm. sure what's changed. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, I'm gonna call it a state of the union-esque year in, year in review, something like that would be really helpful for the branch. Um, but again, I'm not sure that AFMS would be the mechanism through which we would do that. Uh, it could be those biweekly standups that we do, you know, something like that. But at least for me, I think that would be helpful as I, you know, look to the future to taking on sort of different jobs. I haven't worked in integration in a while. And so quite frankly, if I had to go back to an integration job, I would absolutely, you know, phone some friends that I know are SMEs, but I would also call back to the schoolhouse and, you know, ask them for a, a one hour refresher block or something. Oh, no. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, kind of putting like a, you know, crystal ball on right now. Like where, where do you see like the future of, of force management in the army? Like how, how do you, how do you, how do you think it'll look differently, you know, in the next few years, if, if any at all? So I think the work that we're doing is going to get harder. There's increasingly limited resources. There'll be competition for prioritization for you know funding for personnel for capabilities for for just about anything that you can think of that covers our disciplines so i think 
based on that, it will become more important for force managers not only to be masters of our technical portions of the field, but also of the strategic messaging that we do up and out and down and in. I think it's across the entire force. So for example, it will be really important for those in positions at HQDA to message the atmospherics and decision criteria to the force, but equally as important for those force managers in the field to message those things within their commands in order to help streamline the submissions and be true brokers of the needs versus wants and, and things like that, right? In, a, in an unconstrained environment, that's less important, but I think looking forward, it's going to be increasingly demanding and it's going to continually fall more and more on us to be that honest broker in the middle of what we're, what we're asking for and why we're asking for it. So beyond that though, I think the FA-50s will have a new challenge that we've always sort of done, but we'll have to do to a, a previously unexpected degree of needing to be advocates for what's happening in the force and where it's going in the future so that everyone down to sort of, you know, that strategic private in the motor pool that can understand what the army's future is and what we're trading off now to achieve those goals in the future, right? So why are we changing for structure or when is this specific piece of equipment coming online and how will that change what we're expected to do either strategically for the army or within the joint force? Um, how will that be employed? Why is it important that we're putting resources toward it? Right. We have we're in these unique positions to understand that to a, a greater degree than I think the average person. And I think we have a sort of inherent responsibility because of that to to message it and to be those advocates to bring the message forward so that it doesn't seem like these arbitrary one off choices that are being made, because truly the amount of work and time and dedication and staffing and modeling and science and expertise and sort of all of the systems and processes that go to support these decisions are truly astonishing. And I think that we don't do it justice if we don't advocate for that down to the lowest level and make sure that it's understood to that degree. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. So uh, th this question may, may tie a little bit into your previous answer, but, you know, for, for us junior 50s, you know, what could we do to, to get better, get, get smarter, to become better fifties in our personal time? I mean, it's gotta be something more than just, you know, reading the, the how the army runs manual. Like, <laughs> like what, like, what could we do on our, on our personal time or off time to, to get better? Oh, I'm giving you some long winded answers, Matt. I'm sorry in advance, but I have another three part answer to this one. Well, that's okay, ma'am. So first, I think most importantly, do the things you care about, right? If you don't care about it, if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be dedicated to it and it's not going to truly make an impact and change who you are. So I think you have to pour yourself into whatever you're passionate about to get the outcome that you want. So, and I, this will vary person to person. So I know people who are tremendously successful because they're students of military history and they can talk at length about military philosophy, transformations in doctrine, et cetera, et cetera. I know others who are more passionate about volunteerism and who have achieved accolades from bringing those attitudes and opportunities with them into their organizations. So my advice to any soldier in the entire force is to do what makes you most authentically yourself and hone those skills because you are the asset that your organization needs, right? You were selected to go there for a reason. The army continues to promote you for a reason. And if we try and homogenize ourselves, 
I think that's sort of inauthentic to who we are. And while I acknowledge we all have to meet the same standards and, you know, that sort of stuff, I also think that there is an inherent value in you being the person that your organization needs. You were put there for a reason. And I think you need to really make yourself the most valuable version of yourself in that organization. Does that make sense before I go on to number two? Oh, it does. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Perfect. So the second thing I think is that you need to do the things that make you a good teammate. I will speak to my experience only, but those I respond to the most are the, the peers, the subordinates, the leaders, the mentors, the mentees, the people around me who are self-aware, who have the skills to find or create opportunities to move a team forward, those who openly communicate, who receive and give feedback well, and those who can arbitrate a conflict without escalation. So I think that each of these is a skill that we can develop through introspection, reflection, feedback from trusted people, and you know, reading, podcasts, however you receive sort of media. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say full disclosure that in the last few years, I've really tried to focus on this myself. Um, I've diversified my reading list to include books about coaching or other topics of interest to my journey of personal improvement uh, to be a better teammate. And it's not something that I had necessarily focused on a lot when I was a more junior officer. Um, And I think that with reflection, I hope that I was still the teammate that I, that I wanted to be and that I was capable of at the time, but going back, right. There are, there are certainly some things that I would do different. Um, And so I think that all leaders can benefit from this type of self-knowledge and practice. And I do wish I'd started that a little earlier in my career. So if there is anyone out there listening who hasn't begun that journey yet, I would certainly say that it has made a huge difference for me in my personal and professional relationships. And I would very much advocate that it can make a difference for anybody. Um, And I'll pause there one more time real quick and see if you have anything else before I move to my third and final piece to this answer. Uh, No, no, ma'am. Fire away. Okay, perfect. So finally, I would say to focus on the people and try to build up those around you. I think we should throw energy toward any tangible stewardship actions we can for our branch and our peers. So a shameless plug here, but I think something like writing for the Oracle uh, or studying Mm -hmm. and reading to prepare for what you know is coming, right? If you know SPAR is coming up or if you know resourcing panels are coming up or if you're really into technology and you wanna find skills of something like Tableau or Python or Power BI, you know, find a way to bring that into your organization and streamline a process for yourself and then bring the team on board with it and move the whole team forward using whatever the skills that you have or develop are. Um, and sort of as a follow on to that, don't, you don't have to wait to be asked or told to do these things. I think you can take the initiative, right? And that gives you sort of the power to shape the course of where this goes and to, and to really drive some change, which is exciting, right? That's one of the reasons that we're leaders in the army is to make a better army to improve our foxhole no matter where we are and i think it's just really cool that we have the ability to do that and we should exploit every single opportunity that we can to make our organizations better yeah i think for you know for myself it's you know it's it's podcasts and, and trying to read as, as as much as i can and i try to diversify my my reading list as, as much as i can not just you know you know i'm interested in military history i'm interested in geopolitics and you know political science and you know that that area but i try to diversify myself and you know read out outside of that you know is you know try to try to be you know well-rounded um and I'll, and I'll get to my fun question in a, in a little while, you know, about, you know, what's your all time favorite book. And 
I, you know, I started to think like, I, I should probably stop asking that question because my reading list just keeps getting longer and longer <laughs> and longer. <laughs> so, um, okay, ma'am. So for the, for the next question and we, we, we kind of already dived into it, but I, I want a little bit more from you on this one. Cause this is, you know, a, a question that a fellow peer, you know, asked me and, it, and, it, and I think, you know, it's a legitimate concern in the field and this isn't nothing new. Like we, we've heard this before. Um, but, you know, why should we go for that one of one assignment? You know, like I, I don't want to be a, a battle captain or battle major, right? Like I'm concerned about being cannon fodder for like an OER profile or, you know, I don't want to work like staff duty, you know, like, you know, what what was your experiences like? And, you know, what are your thoughts on the on the one of one assignment? So I loved my one of one. I will say I loved all of my assignments. I'm probably the wrong person to ask this to because I think that any FA 50 who really wants to challenge their skills and be where the rubber meets the road should take on a one of one. Um, I think that at your one of one, again, in my experience and in others that I've spoken to, the success really comes down to being a team player. So for me, my one of one was at the 21st Theater Sustainment Command uh, in Kaiserslautern, Germany. And, you know, when I got there, I unfortunately had missed the opportunity uh, just based on timelines to do a battle handover with the FA-50 who left that position uh, before I did. So there had been several months in between us. And so because of that, I think, you know, some things had maybe fallen through the cracks, maybe some stuff he had been doing regularly had sort of fallen away. And because it was that summer PCS cycle, a lot of other military people had shifted around and, you know, some of those sort of inherent things fell off a little bit. And so when I got there, I had this really cool opportunity to go to, to really shape it for myself. Right. So I did that by going to all the meetings and I found ways to make force management relevant to my command and to really make it work within the CG's guidance and initiatives and end states. And so for me, that was, it was a great opportunity, right? Cause there wasn't this, um, sort of, this is what we expect from you. And this is your battle rhythm and you'll, you'll go here and here. It was sort of like learning and discovery. And I was able to become an integral part of all of these things. And unlike at ASCC and HQDA, there wasn't, well, I had, I was a member of a team, right? I was the only military person though. So there wasn't a lot of other military advocates for me there. Uh, so I really had to strike out on my own and find my relevance and show my relevance right and so that was a challenge that i hadn't had to have at army north i had to take that knowledge that he gave me that foundation and that base and exercise it for myself and it was really interesting for me to see the ways that i didn't necessarily even appreciate some of the stuff he had done i just accepted it but then when i was using the techniques that he taught me and going to the things that i knew i needed because of him you know, it was, it was great to see what I was, what I was capable of doing as a force manager for force management, as well as for the 21st Theater Sustainment Command and their soldiers. Now, I will also put a disclaimer on this, that when I was there, I, I did 100% pull staff duty. Um, I pulled field officer of the day duty, and I was, I was a battle major. But all three of those things gave me an appreciation for being an FA-50. And it also gave me an appreciation for what the TSC takes on, right? The mission of it. And I think I more deeply understood that mission because I was a battle major for some of the time. And so it gave me the ability to be like, oh, hey, on this training calendar, you know, a net nephew doesn't make sense because these guys are going out into the field. And you're like, 
to sort of internally deeply understand things that maybe I wouldn't have if I had isolated myself a little more just into force management. And so I would say, right, like, don't be afraid to jump in. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but in a one of one, you may be the first FA50 or one of very few FA50s that the O5s and the O6s that you meet, maybe even some of the GOs you meet will have dealt with. So you will set the groundwork for how they view every FA50 in the future, for how they see force management and how they see force managers. What is more awesome than that as an advocate for our brand? I think it's it's a big responsibility and it's an important job. And because of that, right, I think that we set the standard. And so you should you should compete for those one of one assignments. You should want to go out there to that division, the TSE, the ESC, the one of one, the one of few, whatever command you go to. Because you are you are really setting the tone. You are shaping the future for some of these guys who are going to be, you know, potentially the chief of staff of the army someday. And what greater opportunity is there as a 50 than to be the first person that they look at and say, that force manager was tremendous value added in my organization. Every FA 50 I meet from now on has the benefit of the doubt because of how much they knocked it out of the park. Like you can't beat that opportunity. So anyway, I know I'm a little bit cheerleadery on that, but for anyone considering it, don't let the naysayers keep you away from it. You will rise to the challenge. You'll be the better for it. And our branch will be better because of what you did there. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, you know, being value added, contributing to the team. Don't just sit in your cubicle, right? You know, don't be, don't be a hider, be a finder, you know? Um, yeah. FA 50 is a team sport. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can shape your, 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 your experiences from, from that. Um, mm -hmm. So for the next question, ma'am, like I know the Legion Lieutenant Colonels are, are working on this one <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I know this is discussed, uh, you know, around the force, but so should we, you know, should we strive for the 05, 06 KMBs, you know, like what's the, so what behind it? Like what, why should we do it? You know, like when do I get promoted anyways, if I, if I don't, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. So I'll start by saying that. Yes. So first of all, unequivocally, a hundred percent. Yes. Um, I think there are with a few exceptions, uh, for example, I know some of my my peers who are phenomenal force managers. However, they know that you know they want to retire at 20 years, or for whatever reason, you know, it might be an EFMP, or, or for whatever reason, various people have various reasons for why they don't want KNBs. And if there is um, something that that is a serious limitation, then 100%, I fully understand and acknowledge that that those things that, that life just happens, and that so not everybody will want this opportunity. With that being said, I think that unequivocally for the vast majority of us, it is our responsibility to take these jobs, right? So by the time you become an 05 into your 06 years, you are a senior FA50 in the branch and we set the tone and we have the responsibility to number one, continue to take what we have been lucky enough to be taught by those around us and to move that knowledge forward through the processes, whatever it is that we're in charge of at that time. And number two, we have the responsibility to mentor the generations coming up behind us the same way that someone pulled us up, mentored us, taught us the things that we know, right? So not only do we have the relationships, or I'm sorry, the responsibility to look forward and move the army forward, but we also have the responsibility to tend to the relationships for those subordinate to us or our peers in moving the entirety of the, the force, the internal FA-50 force forward. Um, I, I also think that these are some cool jobs, right? So if you look across the force at 
what the KNB positions are, I would venture to say, why wouldn't you want to take those jobs? They're in mm-hmm. really great places and they're really, they're jobs where you get to finally shape to a greater degree than you've ever previously been able to what happens for a command or what happens for the army. And I mean, that's, that's sort of like Super Bowl, right? Like mm-hmm. you've, you've trained this long, you've been to this many playoffs. This yeah. is a Super Bowl, man. Why wouldn't you want to get the ring? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That's... Um, but okay, ma'am, you know, I'll try to try to wrap things up here and I'll transition to the fun questions. And, and these are the questions that I ask all my guests. Um, and I, you know, I've touched base on the, on the first question. Uh, so if you could tell me, you know, what is your, you know, all time favorite book? So my reading list can just continue to grow. Oh, can I give you more than one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yep, yep. so, and you know this about me already. Um, I, I actually gave you a copy of this book, but I think that any force manager, civilian or military should read anything either by or about Field Marshal Helmut von Moltke, the elder. Uh, so he was a Prussian field marshal who, through a combination of his philosophy and practical action, he instituted systems that look very much like what we call force management today. In my opinion, his efforts were brilliant and all of the things that he brought together resulted in a highly successful campaign through the wars of German unification that resulted in the Prussian empire becoming what, essentially with very moderate changes, what we know now today is Germany. And his ability to do this set many world-shaping events on course and really shaped a good portion of modern history. A lot of what happened in the 1900s is directly attributable to the systems that Moltke set in place. Um, And I believe the more that we read about him and understand what he did and how he did it, there are significant parallels to what we do as Army Force Managers today. so if, if force managers were to start a book club, my very first recommendation would be uh, Bolt Keys on the Art of War. So uh, my next book would be a book called Salt by Mark Kurlansky. This is a deep dive into how one resource, in this instance, salt, shaped the history of the world from trade to currency to linguistics to wars. And this book, it blew my mind. I had no idea. Then beyond the importance of salt itself, there were a lot of p- unspoken parallels that I drew from the importance of salt to sort of historical trade and resource management to what we do today. And so as the world moves forward in a more globalist way, there's a lot of echoes between sort of the history of what salt did in the, you know, 16, 17, 1800s and what other resources are doing to the world today. Um, A lot of those resources now moving toward technology, but still resources that are limited in general. Um, I also really loved a book called The Fourth Turning. It's by William Strauss oh, yeah. and Neil yep. Hall. I That's this book love this book. Uh, so I think this would be right up your alley too, Matt. Have you read this? I have, yeah, yes, ma'am. It's actually one of my favorites, and I will never sell that to a used bookstore. Like it'll forever be on my bookshelf. That's yes. one of my favorites. It is mind-blowing. So as you know, in this book, the authors examine about, I want to say about 500 years of human history. And it details the patterns and cycles, and they call these turnings. So essentially, the book details across time how events are cyclical and generational, with each period being a distinct saculum or a period of time that lasts roughly a human's lifespan. And the events and reactions of these periods from one generation to another shape the next that then shapes the next and so forth until each cycle resets in what they call the turning. 
And my favorite part of this book is that it was written in the 90s. So it goes beyond mm -hmm. sort of the historical analysis. But at the 90s, it went into what was then prognostication about what the future might look like. But when you read it in 2023 or whenever, it is now rear looking. And so you can see how accurate those prognostications were. It was almost prophetic, right? And mm -hmm. so it's just and now taking that and looking at which generation we're currently in and sort of where we are and how we talk about those generations, right? Millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, whatever. Um, it is exceptionally relevant. And I think, especially anyone who works with, has children or works with young soldiers, I think that gives really good perspective. Um, and then fi the final one I'll talk about on here is a book. It's relatively a recent release. It's called Military Culture Shift. Um, it's, it's very well done. And it just talks about um the impact of different resources on the military in general right so how um money and generations of war and again sort of that generational perspective different generation stuff comes in and how the army the military is feeling the ramifications of those things on uh what we're going through sort of right now right with retention with recruiting with leadership challenges with um sort of any and everything that runs the gamut and so that one's a really another really, really great book. Um, and then also, so I've personally been reading a book called Do Your Own Coaching right now, which is not military related at all, but it's sort of in general leadership, right? About building teams, having difficult conversations, helping to see yourself, helping other people see themselves and how that can impact the team. Uh, interesting, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate the lay down. Got, <laughs> my reading list just got even more ridiculously <laughs> longer. <laughs> but yeah, I highly do. Re you know, I do recommend the the fourth turning. Uh, I got kind of like a little side interest in, in demographics and like generational history. And that's where that that book uh, ties into. Um, like, um, but okay, ma'am. Um, so following question, you know, wh what emerging or future capability mm -hmm. technology worries you the most? So I don't think this is one specific thing. I think it's in general, how we handle whatever comes. I think that we need to be logical and realistic in how we confront these emerging technologies and how we rapidly integrate this into our army. Um, so what worries me is not the specific capability. It's not a specific technology. It's nothing like that. It's the, the way that these things are able to drive wedges really quickly, but our reactions to those are not necessarily with the same alacrity. And so I think we really need to be firm and resolute in what we believe, but we also need to be really flexible in how we adopt and adapt to the things that are coming. Um, because if we're not, I think that we're gonna, we're gonna fall behind. It's interesting. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. The, the last, last few have been getting a lot of, uh, you know, worries about AI. So, um, that's a, it's an interesting take. I, worried, um, I know this though. whole, I think there's so many opportunities there. We just have to recognize and capitalize quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's probably like some of the, you know, the Skynet Terminator type, <laughs> uh, you know, worries, you know, you know, it, definitely maintaining the human, the loop type thing. Um, but you know, I've I've also read a interesting article about if we if we maintain the human in the loop, we'll be so far behind, so far removed from from decisions. You know, we'll be basically we'll be slow to to make decisions um, mm -hmm. that will end up, you know, be like, you know, it, it would be behind right than our than our enemy or adversary. Um, so that's kind of just the summary of 
of that article. Um, but okay, yeah, this whole this whole podcast, right, has been you know advice, you know, recommendations, right? Talking about your experiences and, you know, um, you know, how to be a better force manager, uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, like the last question is, you know, any, any words of advice, you know, for a force managers, any, any like final words in, in that realm? Yeah. So foremost, I think my, the crux of my message to any force manager would be to continue the hard work that we're charged with. We have a tremendous responsibility, but throughout my, my time as a force manager, I have been so impressed by our community and so thankful for the great, you know, peers and subordinates and seniors that I've been able to work with. We're a very, very small branch. And so keeping close to that community is incredibly important. And to this end, I would offer to anyone listening that I'd be available to continue this conversation um, if they'd like. I love being a force manager and I hope that that enthusiasm for our branch and for our people sort of come forward as we continue to work together to shape the force and to make it the best possible future we can for our soldiers. And my very final word will be to thank you, Matt. I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the past couple of years. I tremendously admire what you're doing here. um, And I thank you for taking this on. All right, ma'am. Well, you know, I really appreciate it. Um, You know, adding, adding more to the series, right. Of, of getting, uh, force manager, senior leader perspective, um, you know, on, on these questions that, you know, the bulk of them came from, came from the field, came from, you know, fellow peers, right. That, um, you know, ha- you know, had, had some questions that, you know, they, they've addressed with their mentors or, you know, with their, with their, uh, with, with their leadership. Right. But, you know, want different, different perspectives. And so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it from, from you, ma'am. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to, Add, add more to this series by you know talking at the you know to the to the 06s right um and and their experiences and, and help this help this series grow on, on top of the other episodes that i got got lined up um that being said um any any final comments man before we sign off no i just i thank you very much for what we're doing um i know we have a lot of amazing 06s i'm sure you'll have some great conversations and i look forward to continuing to listen to the podcast awesome ma'am thank you very much i really appreciate it have a great evening. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and have a great holiday.